0: All right folks, this one's going to be a good one. Or I hope so. So, I was doing more research on my towers and um I let it led me to minarets, the long uh cylindric, cylindrical towers, you know, usually next next to mosques where um, they make the call to prayer from. Alright, so I found this one um, article. Once again, I'll leave all the links in the description. Found this article called How to Build a Minaret. Alright, now check this out. I could not believe this shit. Tall cylindrical square squat attached to the wall of a mosque a medris school, or a ziggurat. The minaret over the centuries has become thoroughly identified with Islam. No one exactly knows the origin of the minaret, although all agree that it originated in the Middle East. One theory proposes that it originated from the fire towers in Iran. Another suggestion is that the minaret is modeled on the lighthouse at Alexandria, Egypt, One of the wonders of the ancient world. Sorry people, sorry folks. Yet another possible source of inspiration are the stylites. The ascetic Christians who lived on tops of columns. I was like, what? The earliest and best known of these characters was Simeon stylites who lived on top of a column in Syria for 37 years in the middle of the 5th century. Most of these ascetics lived in the Syria-Palestine area. Alright, the moment I read this shit it made me think of uh, Gandalf stranded on top of that tower. Alright, so um So then, obviously, I looked up uh, this Simeon Stylites, dude, I'll read, uh, <sighs> I'll read, from Britannica, Saint Simeon Stylites, also called Simeon the Elder, hmm. born circa 390 Sisson, Sicilia, near modern Aleppo, Syria died 459 Talanasis Syria Western feast day January 5th 5th Eastern fe- feast day September 1st Syrian Christian hermit who was the first known stylite or pillar hermit from Greek stylos pillar He was called Simeon the Elder to distinguish him from several other stylites, also named Simeon. Huh, okay, I didn't even know this was a thing. The son of a shepherd, Simeon entered a monastic community but was expelled because of his excessive austerities and became a hermit. His reputed miracle working generated popular veneration to such a degree that to escape the importuni- escape the importunities of the people he began his pillar life northwest of Aleppo about 420 His first column was 2 meters 6 feet high later extended to about 15 meters 50 feet and the platform is said to have been about one square meter about 11 square feet he remained atop the column for 37 years permanently exposed to the elements standing or sitting day and night in his restricted area protected from falling by a railing and provided with a ladder to communicate with those below or to receive meager gifts of food from disciples. Visitors sought spiritual counsel, relief from sickness, intervention for the oppressed, and enlightenment in prayer and doctrine. Simeon apparently converted many people, and he influenced the Eastern Roman Emperor Leo I to support the Orthodox Chalcedonian party during the 5th century controversy over the nature of Christ. When he died, his body was found by a disciple and was apparently stooped in prayer. His pillar became a pilgrimage site and Simeon's reputation inspired ascetics, both men and women, to emulate and surpass his Austerities. Some stylites appeared as late as the 19th century in Russia. I had no idea about any of this shit. Okay, so what's a stylite? A stylite is a Christian ascetic who lived standing on top of a column. Greek stylos, or pillar. (laughs) Pillar. First of all, this makes me think of totem poles, um, shamans, um, the Naga, the Naga, uh, priests of India climbing these poles. Um, yeah, this is interesting. Stylites were permanently exposed to the elements, though they might have a little roof above their heads. They stood or sat night and day in their restricted areas, usually with a rail around them, and were dependent for their scanty sustenance on what their disciples brought them by ladder. They spent most of their time in prayer, but also did pastoral work among those who gathered around their columns. A stylite might continue this practice briefly or for a long period. St. Olypius reportedly stayed atop his column for 67 years. Okay, that's all good and all, but like, so did they just... Pissing shit like over the thing is my question. If hmm. the first to do this was Saint Simeon Stylites the Elder, who took up residence atop a column in Syria in 423 CE, best known among his imitators were his Syrian disciple Saint Daniel in Constantinople. Saint Simeon Stylites the Younger on Mount. Ad- admirable near Antioch, St. Alypius near Adrianopolis, St. Luke at Chalcedon, and St. Lazarus on Mount Galician near Ephesus. Apart from these saints, on, of whom Greek biographies exist, various other stylites who lived in Greece and the Middle East were mentioned in ecclesiastical sources, John Moscus mentions several in his Pratum Spirituale and, refer- and references to female stylites have also been found. The practice never spread to the west, only one abortive attempt was recorded. Saint Gregory of Tours in his Historia Francorum described meeting Saint Wolflas. Wolf Wolf Lycus, then a deacon at Evoy near Carignan Ardennes, who had tried living atop a column but was soon forced by church authorities to descend, of course. (laughs) All right, so let's see, let me read this one, okay the religious devotee who sat on top of a pillar for 37 years. Many people are familiar with tales of the Indian yogis who can remain in one position for days or weeks. Some yogis and Buddhist monks have been capable of slowing their heartbeats down to the point that they're virtually undetectable. Most of the tales involving these feats of meditation, discipline, and prayer involve eastern religions such as hinduism and various branches of buddhism but 1700 years ago a series of christian devotees performed an act of discipline so extreme that acts of the yogis and monks mentioned above pale in comparison what did they do? they sat atop pillars for years, well actually for decades First and most famous of these men sat atop a pillar for thirty seven years. Okay, we on that's the that's older than some okay, yeah. (laughs) In in the fourth century AD Christianity was relatively a new religion was a relatively new religion in the fourth century AD, okay, and had only been accepted by the ruling Roman Empire a century before. In the East extreme asceticism took hold among some of the believers some elements of asceticism must have been present in the religions and beliefs of the people in the middle east of the time for the same time of hardship never really developed in the west some pilgrims from the eastern roman empire did apparently travel to the western europe with the intent of introducing it but it never really caught on This voluntary religious hardship took many forms. Some, for some, this involved literally fasting to death. For others, becoming hermits was the way to avoid the desires and sins of the earthly world. Many others, and this, and this did include Western Europe, would purge themselves of sin by whipping themselves into bloody messes. The stylites took all of this into another level, Pardon the pun. The first, (laughs) first, and most famous of the stylites was Simeon Stylites, a Syrian that that many believe was born. Okay, blah blah blah, and lived near the city of Aleppo at a time when Christianity had just been accepted in the Eastern Roman Empire. There was a zeal for the new religion and its practices. Simeon seems to have been truly affected by this and by the time he reached 13 he was already a serious devotee. At 16 he entered a monastery where sacrifice and deprivation were part of daily practice. Of all the monks Simeon was the most extreme and his comrades were asked th- and his comrades there asked him to leave. Simeon then erected a small hut where he lived for over a year and a half. Supposedly, he spent the entire period of Lent that year without eating or drinking. Bullshit. (laughs) Okay, I don't know how long Lent is. Okay, When he came out of his dwelling, people claimed he had experienced a miracle and was was looked on with some reverence. Basically, the shamans be- became like fucking, yeah, okay. Um, he then practiced a new type of deprivation, standing until he could stand no longer. After a time, he decided on a new path to holiness. He would live in a narrow area and never leave. He chose a 20-meter wide space on the slopes of a nearby mountain, now known as Mount Simeon. Unfortunately for Simeon, crowds of pilgrims and spiritual seekers constantly visited him and intruded on his suffering. (laughs) Remains of the Byzantine-era Church of St. Simeon, the stylite near Aleppo, Syria, the frame of this significant church is still remarkably well intact. This, the site is locally known as Kala at Saman. Hmm, Saman. Simeon's path was, to be honest, a selfish one. He sought God and wanted to purge himself of desire and worldly thoughts, but he didn't have a message for others, nor did he expect others to live as he did. Simeon truly believed he was earning himself a place in heaven. His time on earth was finite. His time in heaven would not be to him. That was not to him that was worth everything. What you did that that was your own business Okay. To get away from the crowds of people seeking his advice and wanting to be near His Holiness. Simeon developed a new idea, yes, a pillar. Simeon's first pole was 9 feet tall and had a small platform that measured about a square meter. On the edges of the platform were small pillars or balusters, such as hold your banister up from the stairs. This prevented him from accidentally falling off. From the start, Simeon determined to spend the rest of his life on his pillar. Small boys were sent from the local monastery with bread and milk for him, and at times he may have pulled up food left for him using a pulley system. This is also interesting, like I had I had never ever even heard of any of this shit, man. God damn. Stone pillar and remains of the Byzantine Church near Elipo. the The rounded stone is what is left of the pillar, said to have reached a height of 60 feet, upon which St. Simeon, the well-known, lived for many years. Mm. All those wars in Syria, getting rid of the evidence. After a short time, the monks were concerned that Simeon's behavior was a form of pride, not humility, so they tested him. They believed that if they ordered him down, And he obeyed. That would be a sign he was on a path of humility. Of course. This is the way they always test you, man. If you do what they tell you, then you're a good boy. (laughs) If he obstinately decided to stay, pride. They ordered. He started to come down and the monks were satisfied. They told him to stay apart. they told him to stay atop his pillar. Oh, really? They let him stay on top after he came down. Huh. Nine feet is not high enough to lift one above worldly clamors and people. So at times Simeon changed to higher pillars. I see. <laughs> ah, so in the so at, at, in the Vatican, all those saints on on the top of the roofs of the Of the Vatican. I see. And then in Spain they have that thing where they climb that pole to the top. Something about us little ants climbing to the top of the anthill. Top of the volcano. The shaman. The hero's journey. It's it's fucking built into us. Alright. Uh... So also, then this also makes me think of Samson and him knocking down the two pillars. And then all of these people were, who were on the roof, they fell, so like... Hmm, interesting. This occurred in the first seven years of his feet, but too many people wanted wisdom and to see if they could talk, to talk him down. So eventually, Simeon changed to a pillar some 50 feet high. Yeah, he was finally like, fuck these fools. Oh my god, I'm going to include all these pictures. Look at this shit. It's a fucking snake wrapped around this pillar. Oh my god, okay. This begs some questions. How did he sleep? How did he eat, drink, clothing? And of course, how did he relieve himself? He slept on his pillar, either sitting up or curled in a ball. He ate and drank sparingly, depending on the kindness of locals. And the local monastery. Some say he stayed atop the pillar naked when his clothes wore out. Others say he was given clothes when this happened. For the last, some accounts have him relieving himself over the side, the lower portions of his pillar covered in excrement and urine, others a bucket. What we do know is that Simeon remained on this pillar for 37 years. When he died, he, almost weightless, his almost weightless body was eaten through by infection and parasites, and seemingly had been in this state for some time until his death. He endured it all as part of the suffering he believed he had to go through to get to heaven. You see the shit people end up doing because of fucking bullshit religion, man. Simeon the Elder was not the only stylite. Others followed his example. Of course. Anything that will get your attention, other people will copy. Because <laughs> it's all about attention. Alright. They even took his name. The next most famous stylite is known as Simeon the Younger, who lived in what is modern-day Turkey. There were many others. Pillar sitting as a Christian religious practice seems to have died out by the late 6th century AD. This is so interesting. However, there have been some throughout the ages who have practiced this type of devotion, most notably a monk named Maxim Kov in Georgia has been living on a mountainous pillar for the past 20 years Hmm. he does come down once or twice a week to counsel the young men who seek out his advice and lives in a very small hut atop the natural pillar a movie called The Stylite was made about his experience I might check it out but this picture I'm definitely saving It says X photo as a plaque of simian stylites. Why the fuck does it have this? is What I'm saying, man, this is what I'm saying. There's a lot of shit that is not being told, and I would like Pictures. This even makes me think of, um, I don't know, man, I don't know what to, Byzantine style line. Okay, anyway, let me continue reading the first one, How to Build a minaret. The First minaret associated with Islam occurred in 673, 4 decades after the prophet Muhammad lived and preached, although some sources suggest a later date. In his time the call to prayer was sounded from rooftops, so the idea huh, shouted from the rooftops. So the idea of building a tower to summon the faithful to the mosque for prayers is from time to time cons- considered un-Islamic but it became an almost inseparable part of Islamic religious architecture over the years. How a minaret was built was determined by the local culture. The Seljuks built the earliest minarets in Anatolia, bringing with them the forms they learned in their original homeland in Central Asia. See, this this area right here, Central Asia... I think holds a lot of answers about history and okay as they moved through the Iranian area to Anatolia these minarets had stone bases and brick shafts Bursa which which served as the first Ottoman capital still has minarets of of this type such as the one at the Timurtas Tem- mosque hmm, Timur Timur Mosque is Turkey. So Timur is Genghis Khan's. Okay, anyways, the minaret is classical Islamic mosques. The minaret in classical Islamic mosques consists of nine elements: the foundation, base, transitional segment, cylindrical body, balcony, the upper part of the minaret body, spire, stairs, and end ornament which is usually a a bronze crescent moon in Turkey. The height of the two minarets at at the Suleymani Mosque in Istanbul, which seem to be the highest ones, measure 76 meters. The foundation is usually made of thick stone and may be attached to the wall of the mosque. Okay. Let me see. All right, so I found this article on JSTOR.org. Some Dubious Stylites on Early Byzantine Glassware by David Woods. This article offers new interpretations of two different types of designs that appear on early Byzantine glassware. Each has been interpreted as interpreted as depicting a type of monk known as a stylite after the Greek term for a pillar. Hmm. It also makes me think of, you know, like the stylites in caves and shit. Anyways. After the Greek term for pillar, the only thing that distinguished the stylite from other monks was the fact that he chose to live on the top of a tall pillar or column, this, w- this way of life seems to have been initiated by Simeon the Stylite the Elder at Tel near Antioch in Syria, but it remained popular well into the medieval period. The most famous practitioner was Luke the Stylite at Chalcedon near Constantinople. I believe that the two types of designs discussed here do not depict stylites, and this affects our understanding of the origin and purpose of the objects on which they appear, stylitic scenes or misidentified crucifixion narrative. The first design is represented by only one surviving example, a four-sided jug that was probably made in the 6th century or early 7th century, formerly in the collection of Ernesto Wolff, is now in the Wirtemburgersche Landes Museum in Stuttgart, Germany. The provenance is not recorded, although the catalog of the collection claims that the jug is probably of Syrian origin. Private museums, you will I guarantee you private collections, They they all know, man, the real history, man. They're just keeping it from us. All right. Uh, The catalog then describes the designs on the four sides of the jug as follows. One large stylite saint visible to the waist wearing the monastic hood topped by a cross Three large V-shaped ridges represent the folds of his tunica. Small linear projections suggest arms below this a rectangular platform on top of a column rendered as a ground line two raised dots on either side of the platform two panel divided in okay two Panel divided into two halves by a vertical ridge, in each half a palm frond, top by a cross, the left frond with alternating leaves, the right frond with opposed leaves. 3. Small stylites st. visible to waist atop a tall thin column, a ladder leaning against it at the front of the column, two crosses above the cross on the left, three raised dots. A fourth dot to the right of the cross adjacent to saint and upper blah 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 okay you get it well, actually me adjacent to saint and upper right half of panel, two or more illegible forms, perhaps Greek letters y e question mark, number four panel divided into two vertical halves, the right half uh. Ca 0.2 centimeters recessed in the left half, a, sw- a, sw- a swathe saint above a square box, decorated with crosses. Lazarus in mummy wraps above his tomb, or a stylite saint swathed in rough palm ropes, protected by a railing. In the right half, a standing palm frond topped with a by a cross. The design essentially consists of six different scenes, three figural scenes, and three depictions of a palm, frond, or tree. This must raise suspicions that is, that it was copied from a hexagonal model and rather clumsily adapted for use on a four-sided vessel. It is also probable that this model... I guess I'll include the picture... Um, that this model had employed the palm fronds, or trees, to separate the three, f- okay, separate the three figural scenes from one another. I suggest that the f- that the three figural scenes depict three itself, that three stages in the Passion of Christ: the crucifixion itself, the removal from the cross, and the entombment. Side one depicts the crucifixion. The so-called stylite saint can be identified as Christ. The crucified Christ has been portrayed as either clothed or nearly naked. He is shown on the early 5th century wooden door of the Basilica of St. Sabina in Rome, wearing only a loincloth. While he appears in the so-called Gospels of Rabula, completed at the monastery of Saint John at Zagba in Syria in five eighty six, in a full-length sleeveless tunic revealing revealing only his neck and feet, similarly a silver plate of Syrian origin and probable seventh century date, discovered at Grigorovsk. Grigorovsko in the Solikamsk district of Perm in Russia and now in the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg portrays the crucified Christ wearing a full-length tunic with sleeves. Hmm. What if Jesus was never even crucified and they just took Um early on early on, even in the West, it was regarded as disrespectful to present him in the more historically accurate state of near nakedness, of course, because then it would you know make all the ladies hot and bother at church, <laughs> checking that naked Jesus, okay, hence the v shaped ridges that are seen on the chest of the figure on the jug from the wolf collection do indeed represent the folds of a tunic but the tunic is that of the crucified christ rather than that of a monk yeah this is a symbology i think man just reading his story his life story too it was like wow this this guy has a very similar story or life as Jesus. Hmm. <laughs> More importantly, there is no clear evidence for the hood that this figure is supposed to be wearing. His head is disproportionately large. Yeah, because that to me that looks like a circle with an X through it, meaning the sun. Okay, but nothing hangs down from its sides to the shoulders as one would expect with a hood. Similarly, th- similarly, there is no evident peak. As for the claim that this hood is topped by a cross, no parallel can be adduced for such a garment, not least because it would have been physically impossible to wear it is true that artists of late antiquity sometimes de- depicted a cross above the head of a figure in order to denote his or her holy status. And several of the pilgrim's clay tokens eulogia, associated with the cult of St. Simeon the Elder or Younger Show a cross directly above the saint's head. As in the scene discussed here. I think the cross above the head is basically. Like. It's it's the. It's, it's the compass. North. South. East. West. And. You have a cross on top of a church. You have the rooster on top of a barn farm is farm, farm barn is, is the same thing um, in this case however the lack of a hood prevents the identification of our figure with either Simeon or any other stylite the alternative Suggestion is that the cross is identifiable as a small part of the cross on which Christ was crucified, the only portion visible when he is viewed close up and from the front. Everything is a matter of perspective. Thus, the vertical shaft of the cross must be imagined to extend down behind the back of the figure the, ident- the identification of the apparent horizontal bar of this cross is somewhat more difficult. There are two possibilities. On the one hand, the bar may continue beyond the narrow boundaries of the scene itself where it intersects the linear projections from the main body of the figure identified by the catalog correctly, I believe, as arms. The disadvantage of this interpretation is that it leaves Christ hanging unusually low on his cross, with his head well below the horizontal bar. Yeah, because the sun is uh, on the equinox on December 21st. it dips below, and then December 25th it rises above. It's, it's all sun worship. The more plausible alternative is that the horizontal bar of the cross is the so-called titulus, the placard inscribed with the mocking description of Christ as King of the Jews. This would mean that the horizontal bar of the cross is not visible in this scene, but must be understood to be concealed behind Christ's outstretched arms. This device was not uncommon, and it can be seen on the door of the Basilica of St. Sabina and on the silver plate from Perm. However, since our scene does not preserve that level of detail, it is impossible to determine the intentions of of its model. side three depicts the removal from the cross again the so-called stylized saint can be identified as christ this figure is not visible to the waist only as would be the case if he were a stylized standing in a basket of a, on a column you know what let me just skip it Stylistic scene or Eucharistic celebration. The second design to be discussed here is found on a group of six-sided bottles and pitchers, examples of which survive in several major collections. All of the relevant catalogs agree in their interpretation of this design. The surviving examples are described as being of fifth to seventh century date. And the crowded figure, the cowled figure, that is the central focus of the design, is identified as a stylite. Buckton, for example, describes this design on a glass bottle in the British Museum as follows. The sides are decorated in relief with respectively a palm frond. A cross above a column, another palm frond, a trellis pattern of lozenges, a cowled bust above, a cross in the circle on the pillar, and another trellis. The cowled bust represents a stylite, a monk who spent his life on a pillar Stylus. Why must the cowled bust represent a stylite? Two factors seem to have influenced this interpretation. First, the apparent depiction of a cross above a column on one side of the bo- of the bottle prompted the assumption that the cowled figure on the other side must represent a stylite. Yet there are two immediate problems with this assumption. First, it is not all at all clear that the, that the design represents. Okay. More importantly, such an assumption ignores a wider cultural phenomenon the fact that the cities of the early Byzantine Byzantine Empire contained a growing number of columns topped by crosses by the end of the 6th century. That's interesting. Perhaps the most famous of these columns was the one that stood in the square just inside the Damascus Gate in Jerusalem. A late 6th century mosaic from the so-called Church of the Lions at Castron Mefa in the early Byzantine province of Arabia reveals that such a column occupied a similarly prominent position there, and Constantinople contained several of these columns by the early 7th century at the latest, I mean I think these are just totem poles finally the basically finally the cross became the symbol for you know whatever civilization or power, okay, the rise in popular popularity of this form of public m- monument is beyond the scope of this article, but it was probably related. To the marked decline in the dedication of statuses to the emperors from the early fifth century onward, one suspects that where it had earlier been customary to replace stat- statues of emperors that had fallen from their columns, as the result of earthquakes or storms, <laughs> with similar, with, with with similar statues of the same or where these emperors were regarded by Christians of the late empire as having been persecutors of the faithful current emperors, this practice ceased in favor of the erection of a cross. Hence, the cross-topped column in the design on the bottle in the British Museum may well refer to this common urban feature rather than to stylitic stylitic monasticism furthermore this column does not necessarily represent any particular urban urban monument instead it is generic in type blah 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 well this does not tell me more about uh, hmm It's basically just okay, okay. Alright, so I'm gonna read this part from Um Wikipedia Other stylites. Um, one or two isolated attempts seem to have been made to introduce this form of asceticism into the West, but met with little favor. Hmm. Well, I'm gonna stop reading and I'm gonna comment on what I think... um some of this might mean so with towers well from a historical point of view i was i was trying to think of the purpose of a tower and usually if you look at uh, a city layout usually there's one or two main top central towers and it it becomes a thing about literally i'm the top monkey on the highest level of whatever and yeah it's a status thing it's a sim symbolic thing but also, it's a very uh, practical thing from from back in the day. Let's say when um, we would still have enemies and shit to protect our towns from, or our city from, or our village from. If you had a watchtower, it would help. It was definitely a benefit because it was practical. You could see further ahead. You could seeing further ahead. Buys you time basically. So, you, you you see further ahead, you see there's someone you know, danger coming. You tell all your folks to get back inside, um, to, to get back in the tower or whatever, so that everyone's safe. It's it's a uh, very practical and uh, um. Yeah, necessary thing Back in the day, I believe I mean, even nowadays You still see it in movies and shit It's like, even even like, You know, you go On a mission Someone's always um, up on the highest You know, point To keep an eye on the whole Situation It's just the same thing It's, um And then during times of peace you need some you need to you need to change that to um where there's another purpose for this tower and, and so you know the Christians put bells on it so to for the church bells and then the 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 Muslims put put um, I forget what the thing is, the word is, but you know, the person who would go up there and call everyone to prayer. Um, You know, you got all kinds of other towers nowadays too, with all kinds of other ads and symbology, you know? So, towers are a symbol of. You know power this is my you know it's like planting your flag on it's like planting the flag on the moon is this is my tower boom this is you know what we stand for and so you know you can also have it as a lighthouse so literally it's a beacon uh, for ships out in, 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 in the sea. Um, so it's a very powerful symbol. It's also a very phallic symbol. It's a very masculine symbol. Um, the typical imagery of. Um, keeping the feminine trapped. Is locking her up in the top of a tower. <laughs> Rapunzel let down your hair. Guess who can free this trapped Britney Spears from her dad? <laughs> uh, okay, so. Towers, but perspective practicality about look being able to see further ahead which buys you time Um, then it can become a thing of status power and symbology and once again always got to do with sound and imagery so the church bells the the prayer calls the the watchtowers the, in, in Lord of the Rings, the place where they burnt the fires. It's all the same symbology. It's, it's, it's going, going to the top of the peak, the mountain peak, the volcano peak, the shaman's journey to the top of the volcano, the hero's journey to the top of the mountain. It's the ant climbing to the top of the anthill. The monkey climbing to the highest tree. The highest branch on the highest tree. It's. It's about. It's about the human fucking soul. Reaching for. Wings. To see how far. How high we can push ourselves and now you know thanks to all these ants who work at amazon they sent uh <laughs> mr jeff bezos ant up into to space you know on his uh rocket on his uh, tower that can blast off into space and uh you know william he sent william shatner up there and uh yeah we are literally doing the impossible and outwardly yes we're doing it outwardly and that's great hey I'm all for that man but there's a whole universe and galaxy inside us also that we are too afraid to dive into. It's a whole other side waiting for us. It's the feminine side really. It's the it's the goddess side. It's the serpent worship side. It's the it's the the side that Christianity has tried to keep under, under cover for thousands of years all these ancient temples all these <sighs> look man all our symbology is phallic man it's, just, it's about the masculine phallic symbology for the most part throughout history, it's been that. Biggest nuclear bombs, biggest atomic bombs, biggest missiles, biggest this, biggest that, how many bullets, biggest guns, biggest tanks. It's like, biggest rocket. It's like, yeah, we get it. Compensation is the game. We get it, but I'm saying If we look at it just from a practical point of view when women were not allowed to work you missed they were like wait a minute we're missing out on taxing half the population here that's one way of looking at it okay so that's what I'm saying is if you look at it from that point of view it's like we have all these ideas all these new discoveries that are just waiting to be discovered (laughs) from half the population. Why? Because men are running the show. Because it has to be all about phallic symbology. Because otherwise we feel insecure. But, my question then is, so when it does come to the feminine symbology, what does that look like? Have we even delved into what that might look like? Because the feminine side of The universe life is, is, uh, requires, uh, more maturity, I will say, and, um, it requires balls. (laughs) I'm not saying literally, I'm saying... (laughs) I'm saying if you going I'm saying if you wanna face the goddess Kali and live motherfucker <laughs> then you better bring the real deal <laughs> is what I'm saying. She got no time for little bitch boy egos, okay? She has no time for little ego inflated balloon egos. She needs the real deal. And it's not just for men not just for men I mean I'm I'm only speaking for men here because I'm a man and I can only tell you from my experience as a man okay what it feels for women I don't know because I'm not a woman so if and I'm sure but I'm sure there's women out there who've had experiences and I would love it if they talked about it okay share it share experiences with your god your goddess whatever you want to call it your other side your feminine side your masculine side it's about balancing it that's all it is man you accepting your own other side all your sides basically then we have an individual a person a real person, not just a mask. It's just like when you realize, oh, I can wear all the masks. I don't even have to wear a mask. It's, yeah, then you're like, okay, then you start playing, man. Then you're a kid again. You're just playing. But, while if you're just holding on to this one mask, Well, I mean, it's fine. We we go through all the masks to realize that we can play all the wear all the masks. So yeah, the hero with a thousand faces. Full circle, man. The dudes are emerging. The dude abides. (laughs) All right, man. I'm gonna leave it at that. Well Yeah I'm gonna leave it at that Peace Bye bye